Cause you're only a man And a man's got to learn to take it Try to believe Though the going gets rough That you gotta hang tough to make it History repeats itself Try and you succeed Never doubt that you're the one And you can have your dream You're the best around Nothing's gonna ever keep you down You're the best around Okay, so I have I have two hockey movies on my list. We're going to go to 1977, the Paul Newman classic Slapshot. Very good. That's on my list as well. And the with the famous Hanson brothers, the 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 psychotic, uh, uh, you know, socially awkward, uh, Arrested Development, uh, you name it. But the the three Hanson brothers were were some of the best bruisers in film history. Yeah, and the one scene where they're in their hotel room playing with the trucks. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that was great. And so yeah. they're, they're like children, yeah. but they go out on the, on the ice, and they're these insane madmen. But it, it's, it's funny because, it, you know, Paul Newman's character, they're, they find out, he finds out that their team's basically being dissolved. It's, they're, they're based in kind of a Pennsylvania coal town, mm-hmm. and, or steel town, whatever it is, and, and the com- it's a company town, and whatever's there is being shut down. Right. And so Paul Newman kind of gets wind that this team's going to go under. Right. And, but there's also something out there that you could, there's teams that could be competing to go to the next level or the next league. And so there, there's a part of that as well. So if they win, if they win enough games, that they may draw interest, that they can advance up to a, to another level of hockey. And so there's that part as well. And he's the player coach, right? You know, which kind of adds another dimension to it, uh, Reggie. And you know, Reg- Reggie is Paul Newman personified, I think, because you know he's kind of charming, he's kind of sleazy, he's he kind of embarrasses himself. It, it, it. I. I this will, this goes down as one of the the best Paul Newman characters of all time. Yeah, I, I agree, and he was um, um, he was great in this because, like you said, he he is a little bit of everything in this because he's a likable guy. Yeah, but he's sleazy in the same you know in the same vein. Where, I mean, I think he wears like the polyester suits at one point in the movie. Of course, movie. he does. It's the seventies. <laughs> he's going on trying to pick up women at the bar. So well, he's a, he's a guy who's obviously past his prime. Yeah. And so he's trying. He's hanging on. He's trying to hang on, at, you know, at any cost. And one of the ways to do that is to get a team that is going to draw enough fans that it can that he can keep working, basically. And that's an interesting point that you made, Scott, about being past your prime, because that is one of the things about with sports, you, you can stay at the dance too long. There, and oftentimes some of these, you may be a great athlete in your in your teens, in your twenties, in in your early to mid 30s but at some point when you start approaching 40 you start to decline mm-hmm. it just is, is how the body works and it's difficult for some of these guys and oftentimes guys who might have been professionals at a higher level will step down and they just can't give it up they'll play minor league baseball for a while 
so many guys that were truly great at their craft is, um, you know, you think of some of the great Gen X athletes out there, like Pete Rose, like yeah. Lenny Dykstra. You know, those guys were so driven as athletes that when that was taken away, when they're no longer athletes, they struggled in life because that was their life's sole ambition for, for the better part of their lives, that they struggled becoming non-athletes. Normal people. Right. Yeah. And that's that's a common theme with, with people, you know, is making that transition from kind of that, that glitzy lifestyle to now being a parent or a father or, you know, whatever. And when you're considered a big deal at one time where, you know, people know who you are, they want your autograph, they, you get special treatment, and then you're not getting that anymore. It's, it's, it's very difficult. And Reggie is that guy. Yeah. So that's Slop Shot. Uh, and my other hockey movie that I have would be from 1992, and that's the Emilio Estevez movie, The Mighty Ducks. Okay. I had that on my list as well. And, uh, you know, there was another one that came out after that called D2. Yeah, didn't uh, see it. But the first one, the, the the second one was good, but the first one was better. And that the whole premise is that, uh, you know, Emilio Estevez's character, he's an attorney. He's, you know, this big shot uh, trial attorney. He, he you know, wins his uh, case. I think this is like his 30th case. He goes out to celebrate. He gets hammered. He gets a DUI and he gets 500 hours of community service. And so what better community service than to coach a bunch of young hockey players? And he really hates the idea of coaching these kids in hockey. But as the story goes on in the movie, you come to find out that he loved hockey as a kid and he was actually quite good and had a chance to be a professional hockey player. And then somebody cheap shotted him in a tryout and ruined his chance of becoming a professional player. So he went, you know, that's, he kind of had this deep rooted hatred of what happened to him. Right. And he was kind of taking it out on these kids, but as you know, with any sports movie and, and kids movie takes, he, they eventually, you know, the kids win him over and he wins them over. And the ducks who are the kind of the laughing stock of the league because of the territory that they, uh, the town, part of the town that they cover, um, they ended up uh, competing for winning the championship. Right. Good movie. You know, it's, it's, it's a nice movie. It shows that while, um, you know, he had to do this community service in a way, it was the best thing that ever happened to him, as is often the case of people listening. When you do service for others, you actually end up getting more out of it than what you put into it. So I think this was a good movie that kind of, you know, uh, personified that whole idea. Yeah. Yeah. Now, moving Absolutely. on from hockey. Um, oh, can I throw one? Oh, hockey? do you have a hockey? I no. do have a hockey oh, okay. movie. Uh, going back to 1986, yeah, Rob Lowe and Youngblood. I totally missed that one. Yeah, Youngblood. Oh, I'm glad you came up with that. Totally forgot about that one. That actually That's was a great movie. The very first movie that ever had that Keanu Reeves was ever in. He played the goaltender in that movie. He was in that movie. Yeah, he was. And it was... Pat, uh, Patrick Swayze's in that Patrick movie? Patrick Swayze's in yeah. that movie. Yeah. So, you know, Rob Lowe plays uh, Youngblood, who is a up-and-coming star hockey player. And this, he is an American, but he's right across the border from this team in Canada that his brother, older brother, Ke uh, Ke Kelly or Kerry, I think it was Kelly. I don't remember. I think Kelly, his older brother, played for, but then he got a stick in the eye and he ended up losing his eye. So his career ended and uh, they had this family farm. It was uh, a dad and two sons, but the dad wanted to support the young son and chasing his dream to become a professional hockey player. 
So he joins this team late in the year and ends up being uh, ends up being a star at the end of it. It's and, uh, Dean, right? Yep, Dean so, Youngblood. So Dean is incredibly skilled, very but fast, soft, but very small. Yeah, and he do, he's not a fighter, and he he's getting beat up, and he just can't hang with these tougher guys. Yeah. So in the tryout for him to make the Mustangs, who was the team, he en- it ends up coming down to to between Dean Youngblood and this guy named Racky. Mm-hmm. who was actually a real professional hockey player in real life, which is why he had very few uh, words to speak. But, uh, you know, for a guy who comes across as big and wide and intimidating, he does a good job. Yeah. And so they pick Youngblood over Racky. Racky ends up signing with another team, and they end up meeting in the championship. So he ends up having to uh, face his adversary, and he does so at the very end. In the uh, It culminates in an end-of-the-game fight, um, but I thought it was, I thought it was uh, you know just pretty cool fun hockey movie that that uh, kickstarted you know a few careers. No, that's in, a great. In the process. That's great. Do you do you remember? There's a cameo by a flyer in that movie. Talk it or no Zezel Peter Zezel. Peter Zezel, yeah. right? Peter Zezel is going to take the face off after Youngblood right. scores the goal. So the coach pulls Youngblood out of the game because he knows Racky's going to like drop the gloves yeah. with him. So Zezel goes out. Doesn't speak at all, and then literally, then they come in, and then they like Youngblood comes out to do the shift, that's and right. then Zezel turns around and goes back again. Yep. Yeah. So I thought that was a good movie. Yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's one that I think I didn't didn't see in the theater, but one that got rented a lot. Yeah, it did. Among my group of friends. Oh, great. Any more hockey? No, nope, that's it. Okay. So I have two soccer movies. Okay. The the first one is the Sylvester Stallone movie Victory. <laughs> I didn't even think about that from nineteen eighty one. You know, I never saw the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but I did see the end of it. So Victory, for those of you who have not seen it, is based during World War II. And it's it, it has to deal with uh, prisoners of war mm-hmm. that are in Germany, are captured, and the Germans decide that they want to have some exhibition. And they want to, they want to scrimmage these prisoners of war and basically show their dominance. Right. And so you have um, uh, Michael Caine, who kind of is the coach, and he has a professional background. Yes. E- evidently, in the movie, he either played or coached for West Ham. Okay. Uh, you, know, you know, not the Premier League back in 1940, whatever it would have been, but still, still one of the major, you know, uh, clubs in uh, the English League. So, and, and Stallone just wants to escape. So the whole movie is is partially about the game. It's partially about escaping mm-hmm. from you know from the, the concentration camp, from the, from the prison, and there's there's these two little subplots going on. And Stallone works his way onto the team as the goalie, as the goalkeeper, as the goalie. Yeah. He has no background. He doesn't know anything. But that's the it, it's a ruse so that he can be on the team to like lead this escape. Right, and it also features Pele. It does feature Pele. He's in that movie as well. Yes. And so in the movie, because the Germans, well, they're not the nicest people in the world. They're not stupid. And they don't believe that the Stallone character really is a goalkeeper. And the Michael Caine character, he's like, hey, I I need him. He's my backup. And so that the other guy has a broken arm. Mm -hmm. And they literally had to break his arm. So that the Germans could then see it and realize, oh, yeah, well, it does have, have a broken arm. So, yeah, that's legitimate. Okay. So, actually, not a bad movie. Okay. You know, it, it's it's not one of the greatest movies ever, but it's 
you know, it, it does a good job of kind of combining sports. It, at, at the end of the movie, the Stallone has to make a great save to like, they don't win the game. Wasn't it a penalty kick? It's like a penalty kick. Yeah, yeah. And, I saw and that. They, they, they don't win the game. The, the, the uh, Germans uh, have it in for them with the officials. And so they, they have like, they should have won the game like five to four. Uh, but as a result, then this penalty shot comes up and Stallone makes the diving save and it, it's a 4-4 draw. Okay. But then the fans still storm the field because everyone's so excited that they did so well, and then the prisoners are able to escape in the crowd. I got gotcha. you. So um, that's that movie. Another movie I, I I don't know if you would have seen, and it w- allowed another movie to happen later that was the American version. But 1997, Fever Pitch, which is the the British version of did you, did you see Fever Pitch uh, with with a um, Oh, what's his name? Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel? Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon, I mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that movie. All right. So that movie, where he's the Red Sox fan, is based on a 1997 Colin Firth movie okay. where he's a big Arsenal fan. Okay. It's the exact same premise. It's a high school teacher, or not a high school teacher, but it's like a, a junior high school teacher mm-hmm. that's obsessed with Arsenal. Okay. Just like the you know the, the Jimmy Fallon character is obsessed with the Boston Red Sox. Okay. I know it, that it's actually a pretty good movie. Okay. And it, I mean, they, they, use it for the most part i mean the the core of of the basis of the movie is what they then you know kind of use in the other movie not a comedy where where the uh the american version is definitely a comedy right this does a good job of showing the passion of somebody that's into sports Mm -hmm. and so the the colin firth character he he grows up in a family where his parents are divorced and it's, it's it's he so he lives with his mom and his sister and his dad will come and take him out for outings and the dad just can't connect with the son no matter what he does he can't connect then one day his dad decides that he's going to take him to an arsenal match and he gets hooked and he like the the pageantry and the fact that they sit before the game with these older guys and they're so passionate about it and they're talking players and he just gets into it so much so that they do all these flashbacks of him mm-hmm. growing up where his whole life is, it starts out of a connection with his dad, but then it becomes his connections now to Arsenal. Okay. And it, it follows through then to his adulthood where Arsenal finally is able to break through and win the championship, even though, you know, he doesn't believe it's going to happen because they've let him down so many times. Sure. Much like, and that's probably why they picked the Red Sox when they did the fever pitch, the right. U.S. version. And they ended up winning it that right. year. So any yeah. soccer movies other than those two? No, that's it. Okay. So I have this other category, which I'm just going to call other. Okay. So I'll go through my list, and then you probably will have some as well. So the first one I'm going to touch on is The Color of Money, another Paul Newman movie. Mm-hmm. You'd mentioned The Hustler. This is kind of the modern day version of The Hustler, at least the 1986 version of The Hustler, starring Paul Newman and Tom Cruise. Yes, um, it was a, a continuation of the Eddie character from The Hustler. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's the great Eric Clapton who sings the kind of the main song from this movie. And this is about shooting pool. Right. And hustling. Yeah. Tom Cruise is this kind of a two-bit pool hustler. He's Vincent. And and Vincent's although he's talented, he's not real bright. He's and he is extremely arrogant. 
and he just has no filter on him. So in a way, he's kind of charming, but in you know, for a guy who and Eddie sees in this guy the talent that he once had, but now that uh, Eddie is a little bit older. He doesn't have... It's like a pitcher who's lost his fastball. And Eddie's out of the business. He owns a restaurant. He owns a Eddie, bar restaurant. And he's like a, he's a salesman. He's like a liquor salesman or something like that. He's, yeah. So he's, he's, so he's, he's got a regular job. He's living kind of a comfortable life. Yeah. Uh, drives a Cadillac. But he's not happy because he's not living on the edge like he was when he was hustling pool. He doesn't have the juice like he once had. Yeah. And then he sees Vincent and, and his girlfriend and they... Vince, he just can't uh, sacrifice his ego for the hustle, for the con. Because if you really want to con someone, you have to have the other person believe that they can beat you. Right. Because, well, Vincent just wants to come out and dominate. Well, Vincent wears a shirt that has his name on <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, right. It says Vincent on yeah, it. Yeah, right. And he, he uh, you know, very famously in the music video that Clapton shot for, for you know, from the movie, it has all these different scenes. And you know, he's out there and he's performing. He's like using the pool stick as, uh, you know, like a karate stick. And he's he's yelling and he's jumping. And like you said, he's so arrogant that when you're blowing people away on the first on the first table, right? They're not gonna they're not gonna put any money into you. That's why he wasn't making he wasn't doing anything. The girlfriend also saw in like Eddie saw the fact that th- this guy. This guy could be cleaning up if he did it the right way. So there was going to be this big major tournament. I think it was in Atlantic City. It was, yeah. And so they end up driving up the Jersey coastline. And what's really cool for me personally from this movie is the fact that one of the pool halls was shot in Clementon, New Jersey. And it was this upstairs pool hall that I actually, in my previous life um, as as a water delivery salesman, was in that same pool hall a couple of times. And I thought that was, for me, if, who likes nostalgia, I thought that was so cool because to be able to actually be in in the uh, in the same pool hall where they shot the movie because you it's it's literally you have to walk up the steps to to get to this place and it's dingy and it's dark and it stinks like smoke and right. Uh, but for me, I thought it's like you know it's a part of history that they that they worked all these dive uh, pool halls on their way up to this this big uh, tournament in Atlantic City, which Eddie ends up competing in. And yet another movie that the MTV machine really got behind and hyped. You know, a, a video that, you know, Scott plays the song, My Brain Goes Right to the Video. And, you know, it's the opening where it's that, that uh, ball coming right at you. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I could see it as clear as day. And this was something where... Promotion after promotion after promotion, just by having that video in heavy rotation, there was no doubt I was going to see that movie at some point. Yeah, and I believe Paul Newman got nominated for an Academy Award uh, in that in that movie for his role in the uh, in the Color of Money, but very well, re- critically well received, mm-hmm. and it was it was quite successful with the help of MTV. It was okay. So that's Color of Money. Uh, my next movie under my uh, kind of catch-all category here, is a movie that Scott mentioned, and that is the bicycle movie Breaking Away, which is set in Bloomington, Indiana, right by the University of Indiana. And it deals with some some local guys who are 19 years old, just graduated from high school. They don't really know what they want to do with their lives. However, their one friend 
is absolutely obsessed with bicycling. Okay. And he, the whole movie ends up where, and this is where Dennis Quaid is one of the buddies. Um, the, uh, and one of the other um, characters that, uh, or actors that's in this is Jackie Earl Haley. You remember Jackie Earl Haley? Sure, yeah. He will appear on our list in another movie. Yes, he will. He is very popular this time. Um, he, he's going to pop up in Bad News Bears, you know. So. I was going to say, losing it? Yeah. Oh, that was a different <laughs> that's episode. Right. But um, it is, it just a kind of, a movie where you have you know people struggling with not knowing what they want to do with their lives, and another example where sports can come in and kind of give you that identity mm-hmm. that you need, and they end up competing these these four local towns guys. Kind of most of the movie there, they're hanging out at the quarry. You know that there's a lot of that. There's, um, but they're they're one buddy. He's really into bicycling, and they enter in this this kind of relay race for bicycles on the campus and they their buddies the only one who's any good at it so eventually he just does all the riding i guess each of them has to do a little at least one lap or so right and then he's so tired at the end they they tape his feet to the bicycle to to the pedals so that he is he's in for the long haul and then of course he wins right and then eventually at the end of the movie he is enrolls at the university of indiana okay yeah, I, I know it was a pretty famous movie and has gained popularity as the years have gone on because it launched a couple of, you know, a few careers. But I, it's not a movie I never saw uh, from beginning to okay. end. So, yeah. 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 I mean, it's charming. It's, you know, it's, you know, obvi- you know, you have, um, there's always a romantic interest involved. And of course. It's, it's, but, you know, it, it's a charming movie. It, it's, it's, not necessarily worth spending a lot of money, but if you happen to to stumble upon it with a uh, a rent, you know whether it's like on demand or or on television, it may appear sometimes, okay. but but not a bad movie. All right, so the next movie is not a little movie that people have probably haven't heard of, and that's what Scott opened the show with, and that's Chariots of Fire from 1981, which, as we mentioned, dealt with the uh, 1924 Olympics in Paris. Yeah, and it was uh, like you said, it was centered around two individuals. Mm-hmm. And their struggles um, to get to and compete in these Olympics, one being the American who... Well, uh, it's Eric Little and right. and it is Harold Abrahams who are both competing for the, the British team. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought, yeah, it's been a while since... Well, the, and, and the, the idea behind the movie is that, you know, Abrahams deals with his issues because he's Jewish. Mm-hmm. So he, he has, you know some issues that he he must deal with throughout the movie and also uh, eric little is he's the child of a christian missionaries and his whole thing was he is to compete in the 100 meters that's his specialty Mm -hmm. but when they're leaving to go over to paris from england he finds out that that race is going to be held on a sunday and he will not race on sundays and even though he is Everybody wants him to. He won't. He won't race. Right now, he ends up switching with someone, and he is able to run the four hundred meters. Where it in no way should he have won. I mean, the one hundred and four hundred are, are quite different. They're very different. But through this, he there's a and you're probably thinking about this when you're talking about the American. Um, and I don't remember the. I think it was was a Jackson was the name of the of the American who actually passes him a note right before the race and has a Bible verse on That's it. That's right. Yeah. And 
that, you know, basically, you know, that, you know, that showing his solidarity as a fellow Christian that, you know, he supports him. And then uh, Eric Liddell goes out and he wins the race, wins the gold. Now, the same thing happened with uh, Abrahams, where he did not win what he was supposed to win. And then he ends up, if I remember correctly, it's been a while, but I think he then runs the 100-meter race that Eric Liddell was supposed, Liddell was supposed to race, and then he wins the gold medal. Okay. So it's one of the more famous Olympics, just because guys who weren't supposed to be competing in certain events actually end up winning the gold. Sure. Yeah, and it was it was a movie that was very popular when it came out and, and won a lot of uh, awards for for its um you know for its movie so i thought chariots of fire again it was a, it was a movie that when i was young it's not a movie that really moves along very quickly there's a lot of dialogue in it and for a 10 year old kid you know a movie with a lot of dialogue in it isn't necessarily a movie that a 10 year old's going to be able to stay with right um but it is it is definitely a movie that if you want to go back and revisit it now i think would make a lot more sense and have a little bit more of an impact with its message if you were about my age when the movie came out. Sure, and with Eric Lido, his whole thing was he stayed true to his convictions, and he was still able to come out and be successful. And it was, it was a way to demonstrate to people that you don't have to give in. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you you don't have to sacrifice at the core of of, of your beliefs and who you are. And with, with Howard Abrahams, it, you know, much the same thing, because he, while he was more from a privileged background, I think it was Oxford that he was going through, he, was, he faced some anti-Semitism because of him being Jewish. Right. And I remember there was an interesting dynamic that he had a coach. If, do you remember the older man that, that coached him? Yeah, I and do. And he wasn't allowed in the Olympic grounds because he was a professional coach. That's right. And he yeah. had to listen on the radio, and he has this very funny, famous scene where when Abraham's wins and he hears the call and he punches a straw hat and he's celebrating by himself. And I just remember because we saw it as a family. Yes. And I remember the, the, the whole crowd at the theater erupting in, in, in laughter and thinking okay. that was great. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that was a good one. Chariots of Fire. Okay. And then so now my next movie is uh, this is kind of loosely on sports. And I put it in there because it was just one of my favorite movies as a kid. And we're going to go all the way back to 1975, Scott. Kurt Russell. Remember when Kurt Russell was churning out those awesome Disney movies in 75? Yeah. yeah. How about the strongest man in the world? I remember that. I do. <laughs> we saw it in the theater. But was he really the strongest man in the world? Well, there was a reason for it. There was a reason was because he was working on this formula. He was like, uh, it was at a university and they were working in the, in the chemistry lab somehow and they developed this formula and they thought it was the cereal because somehow the formula falls into the cereal. They think it's these vitamins in the cereal, but he's got to eat the cereal. Right. And that he gets really strong, and they end up competing in this weightlifting competition. Yeah. I mean, Kurt Russell is totally cheating and juicing. <laughs> <laughs> and this, and it's, you know, but eventually then he does discover that it is his, his magic potion that he, that he has here, and he takes it, and he's, he dominates this weightlifting competition. Okay. So, you know, cheating by the magic world of Disney... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> or, 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 you know, forget steroids. I mean, he's yeah. totally juicing and he got this unfair advantage, but we celebrated it. That's right. So that was the strongest man in the world. Uh, my final two that I'm going to have on my other list. Um, first is going to be the, the 1986 Rodney Dangerfield movie, Back to School. Diving. That's right. That's right. I didn't even, yeah, I didn't even think about Another that. Billy Zapka film. Yeah, that's he right. He plays the villain in this one as well. Chaz. Chaz. That's He's right. Chaz. Yeah. Yeah. And Rodney Dangerfield is a Thornton Mellon. 
who is this, uh, you know, the guy came up from the streets. He, I forget the name of the stores that he had. It was not big and tall, but, but something in fat or something. It was, yeah, it, it was tall and fat. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so big and fat or big something. And fat, yeah. yeah. And he is a super successful businessman and his son goes off to college where there's the flashback early on when, when young Thornton was talking to his dad and he didn't want to go to school that he wanted to work for his dad and he wanted to make money and, then he becomes successful, and then he ends up having, uh, you know, all these these uh, relationships with women that don't work out. He has all these multiple wives, and but his son goes off to school, and he's just not successful. Yeah, his son's very intelligent, um, and and Thornton, Jason is mm-hmm. the is the son, and he he's the towel boy. So with he's the, with the diving, team. but he's lying to his dad, yeah. saying he's on the diving team, right? And uh, it turns out that he, he didn't do very well, but he was going to quit school. So Thornton, having just divorced his you know most recent wife, mm-hmm. uh, decides that he's going to go up and visit his son because he, he felt like Vanessa, who was the ex, who'd soon to be ex-wife, really got in between the relationship between him and his son uh, previously that they were very close. Now his son goes out to school and they kind of drifted apart. So he wants to make that connection again. So he ends up going back, going up to school and ends up joining the school as a freshman. He does. Yeah. Thornton goes back and he actually goes to school. But do you remember that one of the opening scenes of the movie where, where Thornton's wife is throwing the party? Yes. And, and he goes out and he makes a sandwich. Yes. You remember how he makes the sandwich? Yeah, he digs the bread out. He digs the bread out, and then he stuffs it in there. I have used that technique. Have you? Directly because of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I always think of that movie whenever I do that. But so anyway, so Thornton goes to school. Turns out that Thornton, in his younger days, used to like dive like, you know, like uh, probably off the steel pier in steel Atlantic pier City. In Atlantic City, yeah. And he would do these trick dives. Yeah. And so here you have you know Rodney Dangerfield, probably in his fifties or sixties, whatever he was at the time, you know, with his big belly, and he's he's doing all these flips. On, uh, and you know, surprise, surprise, uh, you know, Thornton is super successful, and you know, the diving team does great, and the uh, Jason comes and is a good diver as well. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you th- you said that because it's not a movie. It's not a, I ever thought as as a sports movie, <laughs> right? Diving. So my final sports movie is 1996, The Legendary Kingpin. <laughs> That's true. I didn't know. Yeah, bowling. That. Bowling. So we have we have Roy Munson. You know, Woody Harrelson once again yep. brings out Roy Munson, the 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 young upstart great bowler who big earn McCracken. But uh, you know, Roy was the Indiana State champion. Till till bigger McCracken played by Bill Murray gets a hold of him. Well, that was his first professional tournament, and he wins. Yeah, over Big Earn. Mm-hmm. So Earn says, "Well, this isn't where you make money. You make money hustling bowlers. You you know you you go from town to town, and so they find a group of guys and they hustle them, and then they, these guys realize that they've been hustled. Right. And so Big Earn sets up uh, Roy Munson in a very bad way, mm-hmm. and basically escapes and leaves Roy back there to uh, suffer the brunt of the angry guys who just got cheated. Which was to have his hand cut off. Yeah, to have put his hand in the ball return yeah. and get his get his hand chopped off. Yeah. So, And then, of course, later on, um, this is kind of parallels like the color of money in a way. You know, Eddie, Eddie's saying, telling Vincent he could make more money doing the hustling. Yeah. Well, later on, you know, we have Roy Munson finds this Amish guy by the name of Ishmael. Ishmael. Ishmael Borg, not an Amish name. No. Scott and I, we know the Amish quite well. The Lancaster County, where we're from, it's, it's, it is the original Amish settlement here. 
in in America, and we have known Amish quite you know a lot over the years. We we pay particular attention to how Hollywood portrays yeah, the Amish. They do a terrible job. There's no <laughs> Amish man ever by that name. Yeah. Anyways, but you know that that's beside you know Randy Quaid does a, a good job playing he's, an Amish man. Very funny as just being kind of this out of his element, very innocent personality. Uh, it, you know, it comes he, he tells Roy that he averages two seventy. Well, that's because he bowls five extra frames, <laughs> uh, you know. But uh, along the way, they they meet the love interest Vanessa. Uh, yeah, that's it's a Fairly Brothers movie, so it's it's definitely outrageous and funny. I think it's one of the Great. one of the best Gen X movies, sure, out there. So, anyways, that's that's those are my other movies. Do you have any other movies other than other than baseball or football, well, which I have a separate categories? I have I have two. One one just kind of popped into my head, and I know it's not really a sports movie, but. Uh, in the movie Meatballs, when uh, Camp, oh. Camp North Star competes yeah. against Camp Mohawk in the uh, in the little Olympics between the uh, between the two rival camps, and uh, you know, but Meatballs is anything particular? It, any of the events that struck you? Well, I mean, I think the one is the very end with the running, uh, where uh, you know Rudy the Rabbit uh, takes right. on takes on the uh, champion from Camp Mohawk. It ends up winning it for Camp Northstar because he was a kid who was really struggling there mm-hmm. at the camp to make friends and kind of befriends uh, Tripper, was the uh, camp counselor uh, played by Bill Murray. And um, it's a good movie. Actually, it, it popped into my mind because I, I it was on uh, Pluto about three weeks ago. That's right. So you have I, developed this fondness for Pluto lately. Pluto shows a lot of great retro movies, so I have uh, been able to watch Raging Bull. I've been able mm-hmm. to watch a lot of movies based on uh based on pluto so the um but yeah meatballs is 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 a great fun movie it's got some good characters in it uh, spaz is one that always <laughs> right, stands right. out to me but it's it, it's it is a movie that has a little bit of a sports i think a lot of movies would would do that occasionally is to put some kind of a sports element into it the other other category is a movie about bobsledding and it was a movie called Cool Runnings that came out I in, thought about that in one. 1993. And actually, as John, the great John mm-hmm. Candy's in that movie. Uh, another fun movie. I kind of put it in the same category as The Air up there with Kevin Bacon. It's a, it's a movie about the 1988 Jamaican bobsled team. These are guys who were previous sprinters, and their dream was to make it to the Olympics. But in Jamaica, it's always track and field. So here they came up with the idea of, well, if we can put a winter sports team together, we could finally get, have our dream of being in the Olympics. So they end up putting together this bobsled team, and they're starting from nothing, mm-hmm. they have absolutely nothing. And John Candy plays this retired American bobsledder who's kind of been, uh, he had to leave in kind of humiliation, and he's down in Jamaica. <clears throat> so they find him to become his, their coach and he teaches them the basic skills of becoming a bobsled team because it's more than just being fast. It's more than just jumping in a bobsled and going down a track. There's a lot of skill involved to it. So it kind of uh, tells the whole story from them practicing in Jamaica to them actually going to Calgary and competing in the 1988 Olympic. I remember, and I'm sure you do too, that when those winter Olympics came out, they made, they made a lot of, that team got a lot of publicity. They did. And they made a big deal about the fact that are these guys just going to go out there and kill themselves because do they really know what they're doing? And it turns out they did. Right. So that was just a fun movie okay. that that, uh, that I thought was, was uh, it came out in 1993, Cool Runnings, John Candy, check it out. 
right? I, and I haven't seen that one in, in a very long time. So yeah, that's that's one that popped into my head and it just never made my list. But yeah, I, I remember that being as kind of charming. All right, so that's going to close out our others, other list. I saved the two big ones for last. Of course. And so uh, we'll get into football. Um, and, you know, I, I've done it with every other one of the categories. Scott, let's go right to the top. 1993, Rudy. Yeah, this is one of my favorite movies of all time, and we've talked about this before. Um, yeah, Rudy is just a classic. One of the one of those movies that when it, when it pops on, you got to watch. You got to start where you're at and just watch at least a half hour of it. And I think it's important to note what we're listening here is kind of the common theme that, that is built around the movie. And this is uh, called the main title, and it's by the composer Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith is of note because he also composed one of the other movies that we talked about, and that was the theme from Hoosiers. So I thought that was kind of an interesting that he did two sports movies that are considered, you know, classics to this day. Right, and this isn't necessarily the type of music you would think of for a sports movie. Because when you go to an arena or a stadium or a ballpark, you're going to hear something like ACDC's Thunderstruck. Yeah. You know, you're not necessarily going to hear something cool and calm and orchestral. Yeah. Well, I think what what they really captured in this movie is how um, Rudy Rudiger, who's, who's played by Sean Astin, he does such a good job in this movie. He does. Where he has developed this mythical love for Notre Dame and I think that's kind of why the movie or the music is the way it is because it's it's kind of portraying the school as being larger than life you know it's kind of like for him it's, it's almost like it's almost like angelic the fact that he's on this campus it's everything to him and that it means so much to for him to be there uh, but it's also about a guy who has been told his entire life he can't do something right and I think that's why it resonates with, with so many people, and, and myself in particular, where you know, you've been told that you can't do something, and it hurts, and you kind of go along with it for many, many years, and then you finally can't take it anymore, and you decide, I, 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 I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be any, as he says in the movie, I'm not going to be good to anybody until I do this. And I think that's why it resonates with so many people. And the whole movie, in the beginning, was everyone telling him, you need to settle. You need to give up these crazy dreams. You just need to go work at the, at the steel mill. You need to marry whatever that girl was that wanted to get married and said so she put time into him and she went to the house and she wanted to settle down and he had this dream and you know his teachers didn't think he had the qualities to go to Notre Dame. Probably didn't think he could go to college. Well, he was told that by the guy who did the tour. Remember, he signed up for the tour. To when he went to get on the bus. And the and the uh, the priest says to him... This is for kids going to college. Yeah, this is for kids. And he goes, well, I want to go to... And he, and he literally says to him, some kids aren't meant to go to college. Yeah. Which was almost word for word what our guidance counselor told me when I was a senior in high school. You know, yeah, you know, because one of the things that our guidance counselor would do with, if you were a senior is you had to go meet with the guidance counselor and he would ask you, what are your plans? What do you plan on doing? And I guess kids would say, well, I plan on going to college or 
I'm going to get a job with my dad's company or, or, you know, whatever. And so I said, well, I'm going to work. And he goes, he goes, yeah, yeah. Not everybody's meant to go to college. And I just remember how much that stung. Right. And how much that hurt my feelings. Like, and you weren't even planning on it. He clearly doesn't think I'm smart enough to go to college. Now in his defense, I was not a good high school student. Uh, However, it still hurt. Right. And and it was something I carried with me for many, many years. And, you know, Sean and I are are two people that uh, ended up going to college as adults. Um, You know, that was something that was carried for a long time. And and that was a big reason why I went back to college was, was because I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. So, so that reminds me of the story of Drew Brees, where he, sent out letters to all these coaches when he was in high school trying to get a scholarship, just trying to get the opportunity to go play college football. And he said that, I forget which college it was. They they replied to him and basically said, good luck in your attempt to play college football. It wasn't just good luck playing college football. You know, we don't have room for you, but good luck in your attempt. And that stung. So much so that throughout his 20-year Hall of Fame NFL career, he put that letter in his locker for like every game mm-hmm. and looked at it before every game. You know, that, you know, oh, I'm not even, I'm not good enough to play college football. You think this is going to be, you know, a stretch for me? Oh, good luck, maybe. And that's similar to what Rudy would have experienced. Nobody believed in him. And it's such a movie and a story about somebody that was not willing to accept what other people told him. And he believed in himself. Now, kid, you know, if, if you're as undersized as Rudy was, mm-hmm. is it realistic to think that you are going to play defensive line full-time for Notre Dame? No. No. But he still realistically did what he was capable of. He was good enough to play in the practice squad and get the guys ready because they needed guys that were going to play hard and that were kind of disposable. They were. That you could you could beat them up knowing that they're not going to play on Saturdays. They were essentially tackling dummies that could move. And they were willing to do it. Yeah. Because you know he just loved it and he but he still managed to get in, to get an education at Notre Dame, you know one of one of the better schools in the country. He um, and that comes up in what when he has the the guy who's the groundskeeper who basically chews him out after after Rudy quits the team mm-hmm. and says you know you got the you know an education at one of the greatest universities in this country and it's it's just it's it's just so inspirational um, and so well done like you said Sean Astin does a great job in this movie this makes him this this is the role that that propels him to what he became later and. Uh, you know, John Favreau as D-Bob. Yeah, I love him as he's, D-Bob. I love him as D-Bob. And then Vince Vaughn is also, he's Jamie O'Hara. Yeah. In in that movie, it's it's their the kind of their first movies. So their careers are getting started. Vince Vaughn was just at Notre Dame, uh, I think, earlier this season, uh, you know, at halftime, and they talked to him well, on NBC during one of the during one of the telecasts. It's, it's a movie that has stuck with these actors for their entire lives. Yeah. Not all movies do that, and and this movie has has impacted many people uh you know for many many years many decades uh, since it came out and it's been 30 years since the movie came out and it's still you know to me it's it's still as relevant and as good today as it was when it came out 30 years ago and then of course rudy eventually moves on becomes a motivational speaker which you know is probably fitting because 
that is what the movie is all about. It's all about motivation. All right, so my next football movie, I don't know if it's about motivation, but it gets 1974, and we're going to talk about the original movie, The Longest Yard, starring Burt Reynolds mm -hmm. as I Paul Crow. That was on my list as well, the original one. And I did like the remake. I, I did. It's okay. Yeah, I did like the remake. I thought, uh, you know, it's funny. I liked it better the more I watched it. I enjoyed it more. And because there's, there's, there's some subtle humor in there that you don't necessarily catch the very first time. But Burt Reynolds is Paul Crew in, in the very first one. To me, as a little kid, seeing that for the first time, I thought, I thought that was about as cool as, mm -hmm. as it got. Uh, you know, I thought I thought Burt Reynolds was was um, you know kind of at the top of his game at that particular time. Paul Crew is a a guy who ends up going back to jail because he violates probation of a, a plea bargain that he did for points shaving in the professional football. They didn't say the NFL, but he ends up uh, you know losing his job as a as an MVP type quarterback in professional football, and, and now. He ends up going to jail. He takes his girlfriend's like Maserati or whatever she right. had because takes it out for a joyride and you know, yep. run, races through the streets and takes the the police, uh, you know, on a chase and ends up in jail. And this is another story of redemption, where somebody is is shady. I mean, Paul Crow is disgraced. You know, oh. you, he cheated. He shaved points. Paul Crow is is portrayed as somebody who is in it completely for himself in everything he does and you know he, he just proves it time and time again when he when he gets involved with the gamblers and he shaves points he does it for himself when he uh you know steals his girlfriend's car and 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 gets busted for DUI, he's doing that for himself right when he is initially in prison and he's putting the team together. He's doing it for himself, because he's you know trying to, uh, you know, although he doesn't says he doesn't have interest in it, it, it kind of gets them away from doing some of the regular work detail that the rest of the prison ends up having to do. So they kind of get some special favor, and it's because of you know putting this game together. And then during the game, he's threatened to throw the game mm -hmm. again. And he initially, he does it. And it's not until the very end where he decides, the, like you said about redemption, where he decides to finally uh, do something that's right, not just for Paul Crew, but for the rest of the people that he's around. And a movie that I always really enjoyed the action scenes. I thought they were very realistic. I, I remember as a kid really coming away fired up from how they portrayed the tackling in the movie. And because they used real... NFL players, players, yeah. They did. Uh, I think the quarterback for Canapler or Canauer was, oh, what's his name? He played for the Minnesota Vikings. He was their quarterback. And uh, Ray Nitschke is one sure, of the guards right? yeah. that's in the movie. So they, they, went, they went about it in getting guys where they didn't have to say a lot of lines, but they were there to play football, and they, they did it very well. Yeah, and I it was a movie that, you know, we saw a lot. Like, for whatever reason, that was on television a lot and how about, as we were growing up. How about Eddie Albert as the villain, as the yeah. warden? Talk about something that people were not expecting. Because Eddie Albert was, you know, 
he was Mr. Uh, what was uh, from Green Acres, <laughs> right? And he was Oliver Douglas, Mr. Douglas. And they were, you know, he was he was a super nice lawyer, rich lawyer in this in this little hillbilly town, and now he plays this ruthless mm-hmm. warden. Uh, I, for me, as a, as a little kid, you know, I used to watch reruns of Green Acres. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> no, yeah. right. So um, that's the longest yard. Uh, Burt Reynolds, as Scott said, just could not have been cooler in that movie. Go to another Burt Reynolds movie three years later. Not nearly as good, but still a movie I saw, and that was semi-tough. And that's the movie that Burt Reynolds starred in with Chris Christopherson. Yeah, I never saw that. Never movie. saw it. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's it's it pales in comparison to the uh, to the Longest Yard. The Longest Yard is, is one of the all-time greats. The semi-tough kind of it, it's of the times, and there there's there's weird kind of like almost like a new age aspect to what the team is into that they're, you know, they're trying to gain this competitive advantage. There's this love interest triangle with Burt Reynolds and Chris, 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 Christopherson and their female roommate that they have. They all kind of, it's, it's a movie that because it was a sports movie I watched because it was a Burt Reynolds movie mm-hmm. I watched, but it's not something that I think people think about today because it probably didn't stand the test of time. Yeah. You're probably right. Even though it still it does appear occasionally on some of the channels, okay. Uh, but a movie that was similar to Semi Tough. The reason I brought up Semi Tough is because this other movie, which I think did Semi Tough, but even better, and that was, was North Dallas Forty from nineteen seventy nine. And I remember us watching that at home. I think it was like the ABC Sunday Night Movie kind of thing, where they showed that, and that had Mac Davis in it and, and Nick Nolte and Nick Nolte. Yeah, and that's the one I remember. I think sure. that came out a couple years later. It's 79 that yeah. came out. And so Nick Nolte was someone else who was an athlete before. You know, he played, I, I'm pretty sure he was a, a college athlete as well. And, you know, he is this, he's this kind of beat up wide receiver who's known for having the best hands in the game. And, but because he's gone through this difficult pro career, his body's beat up and he's using a lot of painkillers and he's probably using some illegal painkillers. And it kind of shows you, the sleazy underside of what I think probably happened some, at least in the 70s in the NFL. It uncovered a little bit of the seedy side of professional football. Uh, one of it being the excess living, you know, mm-hmm. the excessive living, uh, the opulence, people that just kind of worship them no matter where they went. So they kind of had the celebrity status. But it also had the dark side, too, of guys basically crippling themselves at the end of their careers just to hang on. And, and they would get and shot money. up to go out and play in the games. Yeah. It's whatever it took to get to get these guys out in the field. Yeah. And I think the NFL's better at that now than what they used to be. I mean, oh, I, I, I agree. Obviously now, you know, if a player is injured, you go into the tent, you get examined immediately, especially if it's a concussion, you're, you go through the concussion protocol and, and you're done. But back then, it was just routine to have – a couple players stand in front of whatever was going on back on the bench so that the fans could not see the player getting shot up with painkillers. Yeah. Uh, what was it, 1982, 1983, somewhere around there? The San Francisco 49ers had a defensive back by the name of Ronnie Lott mm-hmm. who suffered a really badly dislocated finger. Right. And so rather than going on the injured list, Ronnie had the top of his finger amputated so sure. he could keep playing. He, I mean, that's, it, yeah, it was right. You're, you're going to miss the playoffs. It was a different time. Yeah, exactly. It was a different time. So for me, in a lot of ways, when I saw this movie, did not see it in 1979. Saw it 
probably later on, most likely when we had either HBO or Prism. I saw that, and it was kind of eye-opening for me. I think maybe some of my innocence was taken away when I saw this movie, how, what might have gone on during those times. And it was a fictional team, but it was the Dallas Cowboys. That's who they were portraying right. in, in this movie. Yeah. And, you know, even down to having a, a legendary head coach that everybody, you know, really was you know, held it in high regard, but kind of, he would kind of like look the other way. It was kind of how they're portraying like a Tom Landry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, still a, a movie that I think, you know, you talked about when Mac Davis came up uh, as far as when we were talking country crossover. That's right. So there he was in a movie. Yep. We're going to go to a movie that Scott's going to know is I have on the list just for me. And it's a movie that we did see in the theater. It was 1976. We saw this for my birthday. That would be Gus, the field goal kicking mule. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, you remember the Disney film, Gus? I sure do. Uh, it was not called The Field Goal Kicking Mule. We called it The Field Goal Kicking Mule. It was just Gus. Right. Was the, was the name of the movie. Uh, Don Knotts in it. Don Knotts, Tim Conway, um, Ed Asner. It, it's a movie where, you know, Ed Asner's kind of like the owner, coach of the team. He's going to lose the team. He's in, in deep to the bookie. And the bookie says, you know, you got to basically go to the championship. And they have this, this, this bunch of buffoons playing for him. But somehow... When they get this this mule from Yugoslavia, who can who can kick field goals, they they bring him over to kind of like be this halftime attraction. Yeah, and then they figure out oh, once again there's no rules in the rule book that says a mule can't kick in the game. So they get him in the game, and this this mule can kick hundred yard field goals. Yeah. So no matter where they get the ball, they're going to score. Didn't Mr. Ed play for the Dodgers in one episode? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't tell you. I think that actually happened. Yeah. But and you remember um, Tom Bosley is in this movie as well. He is one of the because you know the bookkeeper, oh not the bookkeeper, but the bookie. Well, he can't lose this bet. This is a sure thing. So he hires a couple of bumbling idiots played by Tim Conway and Tom Bosley to try to sabotage and kidnap Gus at some point. But you know, of course, Gus does make it out there eventually and kicks the winning field goal. Now remember they they were having a hard time in the beginning because he wouldn't kick the ball when they said hike. Yeah. He had his, remember what he, they said? I forget what it was. Oyich. Yeah, because it's Yugoslavia. Yeah. yeah. Oyich. And then, and then did it, it, and then it, make this little noise and they kick. And they would kick it and the ball would go woo, 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 woo. Yeah. It would, it would go through the uprights. Yep. Yeah. So Gus, uh, he was the famous field goal kicking mule from 1976, one of my all-time favorite movies that okay. I saw as a child. Uh, next one, we go, we're going to jump up 20 years and go to 1996 to Jerry Maguire. I was wondering if you were going to... You know, I was going to categorize that as football as well because it's centered around two football players. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though in the opening scene, Jerry Maguire is with a hockey player when he's in the hospital. Remember, they're they're trying to convince him to get back and play mm-hmm. uh, because he has he's in a contract year and the kid gets... The, the, the hockey player's son gets mad at him and, and curses him out. But that was, uh, that was kind of the very beginning of the movie but it ends up becoming about uh you know about football and it's loosely based on lee steinberg's uh career as the he's the famous sports agent who was kind of known as like the quarterback agent i think he might still have the record for most first overall picks in the representing the most number one overall picks in the nfl draft i think he's like eight or something like that because he was like the quarterback um agent and so you know, Jerry Maguire is the sports agent, and eventually Cuba Gooding Jr. is like his main client, utters the famous line, show me the money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about, about Jerry 
kind of rethinking having all these different clients. You talk about who has the hockey player at the beginning, but and he realizes that you know maybe he should just focus and give more attention to his certain athletes. Well, he works for this uh, company that is loosely based on the uh, the firm IMG, mm-hmm. who Lee Steinberg worked for, and IMG represented hundreds and thousands of big name athletes in all different sports. And that's what this this conglomerate was in the movie. So he has this epiphany one night, and he starts to type out this long, uh, what they called a memo. You remember that was kind of the joke where they say, "Hey, I got your memo," and he goes, "That was a mission statement." Mm-hmm. And so that was this back and forth. But he he just kind of goes on and on about how have we lost our way representing these athletes, right? So he he kind of has this the reaches this moral crossroad in life. And because he does this, they fire him. So where he was thinking about spending more time, he ends up having to spend more sure. time because he lost his job. Yeah. And now he's fighting for his, you know, financial survival. Right. And he can focus on, on you know, fewer clients this right. way. And I, and I think that's kind of what Lee Steinberg eventually does in real right. life is, is, you know, that's part of the reason why these these quarterbacks wanted him as their, their guy, man. I think Steve Young, he got like one of the biggest contracts in history. And anyways, he was, there's a lot of guys that he represented. Yeah. Uh, so Jim McGuire, you know, I, one of the more famous movies from the nineties, um, go back to 1988. And here's a movie, Scott. I, I don't know if you saw this one or not. Everybody's all American. Did you ever see that one? I never saw it. That's the, uh, that's the Dennis Quaid movie. And he plays a, a a character known as the Gray Ghost, kind of you know fictional. It, it's Frank DeFord, the Sports Illustrated uh, famous columnist. Frank DeFord. This was his first novel. Okay, and it gets made into a movie. It's it's very it's very telling. It's 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 it really. Now that I'm older, uh, it makes me think because you know you had the Gray Ghost, who is this incredible athlete. He's he's just this this masterful athlete who is you know one of the greatest football players ever. He's he's an All American. He goes and he plays in the NFL, and it's kind of his showing the the glory, but also the struggles, especially after he's older and washed up, and just everything that he has to deal with. It, where there's this very famous scene where he goes back. Um, the football team, the the, uh, the 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 championship team that they had. They go back and they get honored at halftime. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, they save, you know, the Dennis Quaid character, the Grey Ghost is the, the final guy that gets introduced. And, you know, there's barely, people aren't paying attention, like in reality, when you mm-hmm. bring the guys back 20, 30 <laughs> years later, and people, they don't know who you are. Right. Especially the kids that are going to the school there, they don't know who you are. And they, they go to, you know, there's barely anyone clapping for the players that get introduced. But they finally introduce the main guy, and there's this big cheer, and he gets all excited. But behind him, the current guys just run out into the field and it's kind of like this. And then he's like this awkward moment where he realizes that and he's like, kind of, you know, kind of like all shucks puts his hand down yeah. and it's embarrassing for him. And even later on when his, his career is over, how he, he kind of has to almost do the, the Jake LaMotta thing where he's for business. He walks around, and tells stories of the glory days. Right. And it's, it's just, and it's, it's, it's sad in a way, but it's, 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 as an adult, it's a good movie. Is John Goodman in that he movie? He is in that okay. movie. Yeah, he's his college football lineman. Right. And 
there's you know the scenes where those guys would he's playing for Washington, okay, and then they they come and they visit him on the road, and it's you know it's it, it's a group of just him and the buddies and everything that they're dealing with. So yeah, it's Jessica uh, Lang is in that movie, uh, John Goodman, and as, as Dennis Quaid is in that movie. So we'll go from kind of a what can be a sad movie, an introspective movie, to one that is not sad or introspective at all. Let's go to The Water Boy, Bobby <laughs> Boucher. Okay. <laughs> the uh, a movie I actually just watched the other night because okay. it's always on television. Yeah. And, you know, that's another Adam Sandler classic where he is kind of playing that, that goofball that, you know, he's, he's the down and out Bobby Boucher whose mama won't let him do anything because she thinks everything's of the devil. That's right. And then suddenly he realizes that he, when he gets angry, he is just the greatest football player in all of college football. That's right. Uh, compliments of Captain Insano. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Uh, a movie I saw in the theater. Yes. Um, I was very, very into that movie. I remember walking out of there and just thinking that I'd seen a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it was really the first time that we've seen Henry Winkler in a while. Yeah. In a movie. And he plays he plays a coach, and he's a very different Henry Winkler than what we remember as the Fonz mm-hmm. back in uh, the day you know the happy days. But still, very very funny character of a coach who's kind of lost his edge because he's intimidated by by a coach that uh, there used to be two assistants under the same head coach, and he had this he had this playbook, mm-hmm. and he wrote all these imaginative and great plays in it. And the other coach just bullies him and takes the playbook from him, and so he loses all of his confidence. But again, it's a little bit of a, of a movie about redemption, sure. Uh, even though it's done in a very comedic way, and you're right, it's it's a fun, it's still a fun movie. I still watch it when it when it comes on, and just the fact that they bring in uh, Brent Musburger and Dan Fouts to do the commentary, and they're up there arguing with each other and. You know, it's 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 a typical Adam Sandler movie. It's it's two hours of fun. It is. It is. Yeah. It's it's nothing serious. You know. Obviously, you know how it's going to turn out. Probably when the movie starts. You know, there's there's going to you know Bobby. Nobody likes him. He's he's this nerd, but he becomes a great athlete. So of course, then people like him, which is what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, you become good at sports, and then everyone gets mad at him because it turns out that you know his homeschooling really wasn't uh, homeschooling because his mom mama didn't really teach him anything and. Um, and then when he eventually comes back to the team again, then he redeems himself and you know leads the team to victory, uh, of course, um, as you would expect. Um, so my next movie, uh, you may or may not have seen this movie. I, I don't know if you saw this one, but this is a 1986 Goldie Hawn movie called Wildcats. I saw Wildcats. Did you see Wildcats? Yep, absolutely. Yep. That was a movie that I would say was very much of the times. Oh, yeah. It's, it's definitely fits very squarely in 1986 for sure and if you probably remember goldie hawn was somebody you know as a woman she wanted to be a football coach and nobody would give her an opportunity her dad was a football coach and taught her everything and she felt she was qualified and all the the only job that they would give her at her current high school was that as the i think she was a track coach something like that Yeah. yeah yeah right and so the only place that she can get a job is at an inner city school, which is super dangerous. The only one that would take her. Right. And then, you know, surprise, surprise, everything works out at the end. Uh, you know, you don't really need to know much more than that other than it's charming. It's 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 one of those movies where you you would have rented it back in the day. Mm-hmm. I, I never would have seen this one in the theater. You saw it probably. Uh, you, you might have gone to the, the video rental store and you had to come up with five. 
because it was <laughs> it was five for like twenty bucks, whatever the number was. Okay, and like okay, let's throw the. Well, I like Goldie Hawn. Yeah, all right, it was, let's throw it, it in was there. definitely on the shelf at the Turkey Hill convenience <laughs> right. store. Right, was one of the one yeah. of the ninety nine cent rentals. Right, so you saw that, and and you were like, yeah, you weren't disappointed, but yeah. it's like okay, so it's Goldie Hawn and Wildcats, um, nineteen seventy one. The movie was Brian's song. Did you ever see Brian's I song? I had that on my list, yeah. Yeah, Brian's song is, I think, one of the... the the If you're going to look at a list of movies that were considered great sports movies, this is usually on the list. That might be considered... I think it was a TV movie. I think it goes up there for many people as one of the greatest TV movies I, I, ever made. It, yeah, yeah. And I actually have another TV movie. Do you? But I, I did include that, even though it was a TV movie, just because it was so famous. And that, you know, Jimmy Kahn... Is playing Brian Piccolo, mm-hmm. real life story, and Billy D. Williams is playing uh, Gail Sayers, mm-hmm. and you know, just an incredible movie, especially when you 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 know that it's a true story, yeah. and and it's about how you have, you know, racial issues that would have been going on in the '60s, where for the I think the I think Piccolo and Gail Sayers were the first uh, white player and black player player ever to room together. Oh really? I think that 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 in the first time in history that ever happened. But it didn't, you know, the relationship didn't start out all that great because, you know, Gail Sayers was the, uh, you know, the great player drafted out of Kansas in the mm-hmm. first round, and I think him and Dick Buckus were drafted in the same season or same draft, which is amazing when you think about it. But you know, Sayers was the first player taken for Chicago has a great rookie year, and then suffers suffers a devastating knee injury. But while he's out rehabbing, Brian Piccolo steps in and becomes the leading running back mm-hmm. for uh, Chicago. So when Sayers comes back, uh, there's a little bit of animosity between him and Piccolo because they're essentially competing at that time for the same job. Uh, but it turns out eventually then Piccolo becomes a fullback. Right. And then they play together, and then they become the best of friends, and their wives become the best of friends. Yeah. And then Brian Piccolo starts to lose weight, and he starts to become weak, and he's not the player that he was, and they find out that he has cancer. And he, and he basically very slowly passes away, and the, the, end of the, the good portion of the end of the movie is them coming to grips of not only Brian passing away, but you know their friendship, because they've come so far as friends, and the, the you know the relationship between the two of them. It's it's pretty moving, uh, especially you know well done for TV movie. It is. It was, and and Brian Piccolo was only twenty six when he died. Mm-hmm. So these were young men, and so it, it's just it it's amazing that a TV movie was that memorable. Now my second TV movie was similar, dealing with cancer, and that was the movie called Something for Joey. If you remember something for Joey, I remember the title. It's the it's the John Capaletti story. Yes, where and and for those of you who don't know, uh, John Capaletti is the only player ever from Penn State to win the Heisman Trophy, and his his younger brother uh, Joey Capaletti has uh, leukemia, and the whole movie is basically dealing with uh, Joey going through this all this experimental treatment for his leukemia, and. That you know, John has this this magical senior, uh, senior season where he wins the Heisman Trophy, mm-hmm. and then he gets up when he wins the award, and this actually happened. He got up, he, he he won the Heisman Trophy, and he talks about his brother in a speech, and it's one of the more famous Heisman Trophy speeches ever. And then they made this television movie, and it's it's kind of an all shucks movie. 
I actually watched it again today. Did you? Yeah, I did. It's you know it it's not as good a movie as as Brian's song, but it's something that you know as you know. So I, I went to Penn State, and so I mean this was something that you know every Penn Stater knows that you know John Capaletti is the only Penn Stater ever to, to win the Heisman Trophy, and I just remember that when this movie came out, um, it 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 made enough of a stir just because of the local connection. Yeah. Yeah, uh, John Capaletti grew up in Delaware County, went to Monsignor Bonner High School, and then went on to Penn State. So played had a nice NFL career. Played for yeah. the Rams, played for the Giants. Um, yeah. You know, he he actually you know did well. Um, but yeah, definitely a local connection for us here with you know with Penn State and with the Philadelphia region right. as well. So uh, th- those are my two television movies. Um, the next movie, and I, and I have I have two left on my okay. football list, and. Um, the first one I'm going to talk about is one of my personal favorite movies that I think many of you out there may not have heard of, and that is called All the Right Moves. Okay. 1983, yeah. Tom Cruise is uh, Steph Dvorak playing for Ampipe High School in Western Pennsylvania. Yeah. And I thought they, they captured the grittiness of some of the, some of the coal towns mm-hmm. that are actually very true in Pennsylvania. And uh, Ampipe was the name of the town. A, a made-up fictional team, but probably very similar to Aliquippa. For those of you who, who've ever heard of Aliquippa High School, which is where Mike Dickett came from, Tony Dorsett came mm-hmm. from Aliquippa, you know, and that's how they portray Ampipe, that they have, most of their players are going to major universities. Uh, Darrell Rivas went to Ampipe. Oh, that's true, Aliquippa. yeah, Aliquippa, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, there, it's, a, it's this very noted hotbed for football talent but it's it's a town that's always kind of struggled through the years, and there's a lot of towns like that in Pennsylvania. You know, the boom town of the the times of the when coal was dominant in Pennsylvania, it employed so many people. It caused all these little boom towns to sprout up in the mountains and and the steel region as well, which you know went hand in hand with that, which is what Ampipe is based upon. It's it's a company town, right? Um, you know, stands for American Pipe. And so Ampipe High School is part of the company town. Right. So it, it, the story talks about these people that are trying to get out of Ampipe. Yeah. And their only way out is for football. Right. So they're, they're, while they're many celebrities, uh, you know, as, during high school, they recognize that the time is short and that if they want to move on with their lives, they need to, otherwise they're going to get, quote unquote, stuck in their town and they're never going to get out. And that happens to Chris Penn's character. So Chris Penn is, is the linebacker on the team and he's going to USC, you know, and he's got a major scholarship and then he gets his girlfriend pregnant and then he's staying back and he's going to work at the steel mill. He's going to marry her and he's going to stay. Yeah. Right. Now I did, I remember when this movie was coming out and they, they kind of did like a piece on ESPN talking about it. And cause it was kind of based on the Aliquippas of the world. And they interviewed some of the guys from there, and they said the only part of the movie that they got wrong was having the athletes portrayed as desperate to get out of town. And they said, we love being celebrities. They said, we were kings, and we love being kings. That We were sad when high school ended, even though we were happy to go on and go to the other universities. Right. Those four years that we spent, we, the, you know, we ruled the town. Yeah. No, that's a good point. But that was a movie that I really, really liked. I, you know, I, I, I highly recommend that movie. It's, it's, 
It's something that was early in Tom Cruise's career, and so a lot of people might have missed it. Tom Cruise, Craig T. Nelson. Craig T. Nelson's the coach. Chris Penn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's 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 some pretty pretty good actors who have gone on to some pretty substantial careers yeah, afterwards. Right. And so my final football movie, I'm going to steal this off my brother's list because I know it's going to be on his list, but that is the Kurt Russell, Come on, Robin man. Williams, The Best of Times from 1986. I was wondering if you were going to say that. <laughs> I had to say this because it's my favorite one. Oh, I love that movie so much. I love that movie All right, so well, then, much. Then tell the story because I know there's a lot of, of our listeners that have no idea what we're talking about. Robin Williams plays a guy by the name of Jack Dundee and he, they live in the town of Taft, California. And Taft is one of those down-on-your-luck towns. It's like they're struggling. It's, it's the, you know, the part of the 80s where interest rates are high, businesses are shut down, and Jack Dundee uh, is living this life where, although it's better than a lot of people in town, he happens to work for his father-in-law, who is a big booster and supporter of the town of Bakersfield, their rival school, and and Bakersfield is the huge rival of Taft, and it's not really even a rivalry. It would have to be a rivalry if Taft, Taft won good. from time to time. Yeah, and they they so they basically been a doormat, and that's how the movie starts out, where they're going through everything, and yeah, Bakersfield won that one forty five to nothing, and but they had one year because they had a quarterback. They had a quarterback named Reno Hightower, mm-hmm. and and he wore white shoes. And he and it was uh, Reno is played by Kurt Russell, and they had one great season, and they had one opportunity to beat Bakersfield. And Jack was a wide receiver on the team, and he was open to catch the winning touchdown pass to be the hero, and it went right through his fingers, and he dropped it, and mm-hmm. they didn't win. So and that was nineteen seventy two. Mm-hmm. was when the game was played. Right. And then the movie is 1986. Jack, for 14 years, has not been able to get over this. And he can't, in part, because his father-in-law like teases him about it every day. And and so he's he's in a job that he doesn't necessarily deserve Isn't to be Isn't he like there. a banker? Yeah, he's like, he, he, he's like a loan officer. Yeah. So... He is the he runs the the local branch in Taft for his father in law who's a rich banker, and uh, you know he he just feels like he he missed out on life. You know he's he's married he has he has a wife and a, and a daughter, but he just kind of feels like he and, could have and been. It's, Kirk Cameron's in this movie too. Is is he? He's Reno's. Son. He's Reno's son. Okay, yeah. so they uh, he is he's trying to like. What if life would have been different? What if, if he would I have caught, caught that ball? Yeah, caught that ball. His life would have been different. So he somehow concocts and and schemes and organizes and puts this game back on. Fourteen years later, at Taft, where they're going to replay, they're bringing back the team, the original team from Taft, and they're bringing back the original team from Bakersfield, mm-hmm. and they're going to replay this game, and. Um, you know, he at one point disguises himself as the Bakersfield mascot and throws paint on people. <laughs> right. And it was just... Because people don't want to play the game. They don't want to do it. They're, no. they're in their early to mid-30s. They, they, They've accepted their lives. Yeah. You know, so Reno was this great quarterback, and he still has this reputation as being that great quarterback, but he is a down and out. He's painting vans for a living right at, at this point. He has a little... He has a small repair shop, and he does like this body work where he does... He'll do like artistic paintings yeah. on on the sides of vehicles and he won't even throw something away into a trash can because if he were to miss 
someone would bring it up to him because he has this reputation as being this great quarterback. He can never let that go. Well, it's like the one thing he has going for yeah. him. It, it, and it, there's a very famous scene where him and Jack, played by Robin Williams, are standing on the football field. Jack's trying to convince Reno to play because he knows if Reno says he'll play, everything else will fall into place, right? Mm-hmm. So they're standing there, and uh, Reno says, you remember that game against so-and-so? And Jack's like, yeah, man. He goes, um, you, you threw six touchdown passes in that game. And he's like, no, Jack, I threw four touchdown passes. He goes, but the story keeps getting better and better with time. He goes, pretty soon somebody's going to come up to me and tell me I threw seven. He goes, right. that's all I have right now. Yeah, in 20 years, I will throw an eight. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, right. And so, but he finally gets, he, he Jack finally gets everybody in. They replay the game. It's written by Ron Shelton, who ends up going on to write Bull Durham and White Men Can't Jump and Tin Cup. This was like the first screenplay that he ever ever did. And I thought it's for a guy who has a sports background, which he does, that it, it really kind of taps into that, you know, you were you were a king in high school and now life is kind of like caught up to you. So you're no longer the celebrity in life. But it gives you like, what would you do if you had an opportunity to relive the past? And it's also the old ABC line, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. You know, when when teams win the championship, we always focus in on the team jumping up and down celebrating. There's somebody on the other side that's now going to live with that for the rest of their lives. Right. And it's going to haunt them. And we get to deal with Jack. But as Scott just said, Jack has hatched a plan to maybe change history where no one else ever gets to go back and do this he thinks he can do it and he pulls it off you know the the, the movie is they replay the game yeah they're losing badly in the first right. half but a couple of chance luck happenings such as the rain and their star player tearing his knee out on a touchdown celebration <laughs> that's right because he's celebrating <laughs> yeah the running back so you know Reno comes out in the second half wearing his white shoes. Ticked off. And he starts leading the comeback. He's no longer nice Reno anymore. Yeah, cause he, yeah right. And that was the big thing. Because when he back when he was in high school, he was a jerk. And he had that swagger, that cockiness. And then he you know became this really nice guy. And then suddenly in the locker room, he got ticked off and he became the jerk again. That's right. Because their former teammate, Luther, came in for one last smoke <laughs> yeah, right. before, before kickoff. Yeah. And he, he chews him out and sends him out to the field and... And they start playing ball, and yeah. they they lead this incredible comeback. And as m- movie fate would have it, you know Jack, who didn't really even get to play, had to line up on the other side against Doctor Death. Well, because because uh, Reno said, "Oh yeah, one last thing, Jack, you're out of the game," and he breaks his glasses. <laughs> so, but he ends up he finally comes out on the final drive of the game, and he's got to line up against Doctor Death. He's doing like some dance in front of him, and so. He finally puts a move on, and he ends up catching the winning touchdown pass, as only Hollywood would let you have it. And do you remember how long it took? <laughs> it, it, it. I think it touched like every part of his body. <laughs> the, the ball just kept moving around. I wonder. I, you know, at the end of the movie, it looks like Reno throws it like fifty yards downfield, but. When you actually watch Jack catch it and then squirm it around yeah. his body, it's like he ran like fifty yards to <laughs> to do it. But you know, um, and he's in this bright white uniform because everyone else played in the rain and in the mud. But I think I think what makes the movie so endearing 
not only to us, but to many people that actually had a chance to watch it, is that those aren't the only two guys who are kind of looking for a new lease on life and an opportunity for them to, uh, you know, take chances or to, uh, to have an opportunity to, to do something new and exciting like Reno's wife. Remember, she left, Gigi left, mm-hmm. and then she wanted to start a singing career. Right. But it's just kind of like people coming to grips with, uh, you know, how they, where they've come to their, in their adult lives, and they're ready to now, okay, they're ready to move forward, and they're not living in the past anymore. They're, they're finally looking ahead and, instead of kind of like dwelling in back to their high school days. And even with Jack's father-in-law, at the end of the game, after it's over, I, I, I could be wrong, but I think one of the, the Bakersfield fans walks by and said, I like lucky catch or something like that. Yeah, he did. And, and his father-in-law, who's a huge Bakersfield fan, he is like on the sidelines, and he goes, he goes did you see that catch? He goes, that's my son-in-law. Yep, and he's did. like, he's finally proud of him for the first time. Yeah. So everything, you know, it's, like I said, it's one of those very endearing movies where it's just a lot of a lot of local kind of small town humor uh it's like the inner workings of a small town where and and where we grew up we didn't grow up in a big metropolitan area uh so you you knew everybody that was down your block and that's that's one of those towns that that um you know taft is in this movie and i just i just think it's it's a movie that resonates with a lot of people uh, especially if you grew up in like small town america right so i stole that from you but do you have any other football movies there was only one other one that came to mind it's not really a football movie but it's about a football team and i only want to mention 1984's revenge of the nerds when okay you're t- when you're talking <laughs> but it, because it is about the adams football team with and how ogre and, and how yeah. awful they were to the freshmen more specifically the nerds in the movie and revenge of the nerds is just it, it has so many crude and over the top moments but the core of the uh, the core of the story is it's pretty much the same what we've been talking about this whole episode is where they've over they're overcoming an obstacle it's about redemption they finally are getting their voice heard and but it's all centered around this terrible football team coached by john goodman and they do have kind of an olympics at the end they that, do. that the nerds win right so all right there you go so there's a little bit of you know there's a little bit of, but it's not it's certainly not a sports movie but i just thought it was funny to point that out that it, you know the the way that the alpha betas were uh, treating the lambda 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 uh in omega moves in the in the movie revenge of the nerds but okay that's okay that's still a great movie to go back and watch it's I, on cable a lot i will allow it Try to believe, though the 